Churchill once said that, uh, you know this, you'll, you will have heard this many times, Winston Churchill once said that, the, uh, that America and Britain uh, were two great nations divided by a common language. So when I came here, you know, this is not the first time I've been here, and I should have known before, I thought, WC, fantastic. So we go upstairs to go to the toilet. <laughs> and, then of course, and then, of course, I discovered that this was worship center. And then I thought, oh, I'm feeling really sleepy this afternoon, so I will go to the restroom. But unfortunately, the furniture in the restroom was not conducive to lying down and having a sleep. So anyway, uh, um, so if you don't understand me, that'll be the essence of the problem. Fantastic. Now, um, could you put your hand up if you have worked abroad for more than two months? My goodness. Well, can I pick one of you to come and give the talk? <laughs> How many of you have worked or lived abroad for more than two years? Okay, and I'll put my hand up here. Right. That means we can have a nice interactive session. So I will dry up after five minutes, but you will have an opportunity of sharing what has helped you to be motivated and effective. I feel I'm the sort of guy who's quite motivated, but I have absolutely no idea at all if I'm effective. But I've got one little piece of paper where I can fill in what my own what I feel about my own talk, so I'll, get, I'll at least get one good rating. I don't know where I put it, but apart from that, uh, here it is. Let's just see what it is I've got to perform on. I've got to be effective in learning objectives, presentation, communication skills, wrong language, based on your experience, got a bit of that, and so forth. Guys, my main passion is community-based healthcare, and we're going to do this as a community-based thing. We're going to share the things that have helped us to be more motivated in our work. Okay? I'll give a few little tips, but uh, I am speaking to many people here who have been through the mill and have come out the other side. You don't need to put up your hand if that's the case. Um, so what's the, what's the real... I'm just going to risk getting a drink without tripping up. What are we going to talk about? We're going to try to look at what can you do to keep your team members motivated, or, if you like, what can you do to stay motivated and therefore effective when God calls you to go on mission? For those of you who have worked abroad, put up your hand if you felt really motivated and effective the whole time you were abroad. And put up your hand if you never did. No, we won't have hands on either way because we're all somewhere in the middle. Good days and bad days. Good years and bad years. Well, this is to hopefully maximize the good days. All right. Just before I go on, this is not a plug because we are a not-for-profit, but I just want to explain where I'm coming from because you have never seen me before and you haven't a clue who this guy is holding his gin and tonic in the left hand. Um, so basically... Um, in the UK, I work in London, we're a Christian foundation, a not-for-profit agency, and we provide health care for missionaries, aid workers, and government. And uh, we've got 23 health care staff. We've got a lot of health care staff whose first part of their title begins with PSY. So we've got psychologists and clinical psychologists and psychiatrists and psychotherapists. So if I have a bad day, I can choose which of these one of my colleagues I can go and see and get sorted out. In other words, we do a lot of post-trauma stuff, and we do a lot of uh, 
work before people go abroad and after they come back. We look after 300 different groups and we're involved on the clinical side. I'm not a psychologist, I'm a clinician. My main interest is in parasitology and weird and wonderful worms. And one of my best friends in America became a best friend when she came in as a new patient and she handed me a beautiful jar. And she said, what is this, doctor? And I said, I think it's probably a roundworm. So anyway, that's my main interest. But uh, having said that, we see hundreds of people coming and going each year from difficult parts of the world. And many of them come back seriously demotivated and stressed. So that's what we're going to be looking at. Now, look, I just wanted to put this slide up because I feel that we are very easily in the north, in the west, persuaded that actually we are the main mission-sending sort of centre of the world. We are not, guys. This has moved to Africa and to Asia. The five countries in the world that send the most missionaries abroad are China, South Korea, America, Nigeria and Brazil. And when we are looking at the motivation of staff, we have got to think not just of ourselves, we've got to think of our friends and colleagues going from the Central African Republic to Mongolia and how they can also be motivated. We've recently been working in Kenya and there is a mission organization there, a Kenyan mission organization that sends Kenyans to other parts of Africa and 60% of all being sent in that organization come back early because they're either ill or stressed. No preparation. So I want us to think globally on this. Right, thank you. But it's great that we've got a, an audience here from all sorts of different backgrounds. Now, before we start, I'm just going to take you through this very obvious diagram. Just put up your hand if you're not aware of this whole stages of cultural adaptation. Is this, a, is this news to you? Okay, a few people. I'll run through this. You see, when we go on a trip, if it's two weeks, two months, or two years, we apparently, I think I've been through this several times, actually, uh, we start off pretty excited, you see. So, so stage one, we, we go off, we're a bit disorientated, we haven't had our proper preparation, uh, we didn't have our rabies jabs, and we hope for the best. By the way, we look after a lot of humanitarian agencies who don't necessarily get a line from God first. So the great thing is I suppose that diagram on the left can be wonderfully uh, changed to say this is the way I think the Lord is taking me. Usually we're not always so sure. So off we go and it's the beginning of our mission. And uh, it's all going well. And we wondered why on earth those mission leaders said it would be so difficult. I mean, it's fun. I've already got such amazing stories to tell. And it's so cool being here. It's nice and warm for a start with. And so forth. And then, uh, after a week or two, oh, I can't believe people are always so late. Um, uh, my, my, my mission, I've been talking to other people, and you know, they come from a really cool mission. My organization didn't provide me with A, B, C, and D. And then you say, perhaps it's me. And then things don't work. The IT doesn't work, or the electricity doesn't work. Uh, we spent a number of years in, in the Himalayas, and we had, uh, we had one week when we had no electricity, and we had no telephone, and we had no water, and it was in the middle of winter. How could we stand it another minute? 
And uh, I've had several people email me saying, I can't bear being here. Can you investigate how I can get back on the cheapest flight? So sometimes it's tricky when we first go to a different environment. And sometimes that can be within our own country. Okay, and then we get gradually used to stuff. And um, basically, you know, the other guys aren't quite as bad as we thought. And we may be a little bit different. Uh, you know, we may have an Obama supporter in this, in this part of the house and, um, and, and a couple of, uh, of um, uh, Mitt Romney's supporters on the other side. But never mind, we're getting on better than we were. And uh, I made up with one of the friends that I yelled at. And perhaps the people here actually know more than I do about how they should survive. Uh, perhaps they're right and I'm wrong. And then, of course, all those terrible emails. Uh, can some of you identify with those things you've, you've said to your friends at home, which you rather wish you had never sent? Uh, I can, anyway. Uh, and then, you know, we're out there for a while, and it's, it may be the sort of two-thirds, three-quarters of the way through, and we have the ups and downs. We have the good days and we have the bad days. I can remember, which I'll tell you about if I've got a moment at the end, uh, about a month of, of it being absolutely terrible and uh, becoming probably the most demotivated person in the whole missions community, if not North India. Um, but we tend to learn how to cope on the whole. And just occasionally we don't, of course. And then we get, uh, we're getting ready to come back, and uh, we don't want to leave. And the thought of coming back to a, a gloomy, cold Boston, Birmingham, or uh, Louisville, though tomorrow it's going to be 70 degrees, isn't that fantastic, um, we, uh, we don't want to leave. So this is the sort of stuff which um, is normal. The ups and the downs, the motivations and the less, less motivating times, and the times when we're very effective and full of enthusiasm, and the times we're not. And that is a normal sequence. So, guys, I just want to put that uh, in front of you before we just share some ideas, bearing in mind that, that sort of natural sequence, that natural history. Just shout out, just very loud, as loud as, as I'm speaking, or louder, just, just a sentence about ideas you've got about how you would increase either your own motivation from experience or somebody you saw really struggling by your side. What are the things you might do to increase that motivation? Preparation beforehand? Preparation beforehand, absolutely. Yes, probably put that top of the list. Okay. Anything else? Pray with them. Praying with them, Yeah. And I've got a slide in a moment, which and that comes very top on what people were actually asking for. Praying with somebody, yes. Anything else that comes to mind? Say that again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, standing on God's promises. That's what got me through, definitely, a whole month I got through on that one. Terrific. Anything that you have discovered that made the difference when you were feeling demotivated working abroad? Can you think of anything? Sorry, say it again. A small taste of home. Yeah, a small taste of home. What sort of taste, what sort of taste would that be? A uh, waffle? Game with friends or a of hope or yes, some little touch of home. Something which actually is a connectedness to a, the secure environment of home, which is some, can sometimes be very simple. It may be getting out of the country, maybe going on a holiday, but a Coke or a, or a phone call or a Skype or some connection with home, that can be very motivating. Yep. Just if you can... It doesn't always work, but if you can say one uh, every other weekend you go out of your station or every third week 
where you're away from the situation for a couple of days. Absolutely. Uh, it's very interesting. We'll come to the, to the slide in a moment about the ten things which missionaries said, and interestingly, they didn't say that. Now, I mostly look after humanitarian aid workers. It's probably about two-thirds, one-third to missionaries. And they go on R&R. They go on rest and relaxation. But I very rarely hear about missionaries doing anything apart from working terribly hard and not getting out of the country, and they're getting more and more tired and discouraged. Guys, we need to have these policies within our organizations whereby we, we're treated as people who need rest and relaxation and fun. Yes. And that is very important. You know, fun is one of the most motivating things in the world, as long as it's the sort of fun you enjoy, not just necessarily your friends with their high fives turned up too high. Uh, but fun is really, really important. Um, <laughs> Guys, before I move on, any, any more thoughts about what will motivate you or your friends or your discouraged colleagues? I find that when the adults I'm around out in the field are uh, a pain, I, I go hang out with the children. Oh, I like that. I like that. And basically, as we learned this morning, we are all adolescents from the age of 11 to 34. That means I've, I've just passed it. But actually, the, the one... No, don't laugh. Uh, the, the, the wonderful thing is that actually if we rediscover the child in it, the games, the fun, the excitement of being a kid, the, the excitement of color and so forth, and music, that can be very, very refreshing and very re-motivating when we're on the field. Okay, one more. Yeah. Uh, I find the media, like when I was working with seven children in another remote area, and then they have a satellite TV where we can connect to the outside world, watching the media, the games, uh, the soccer, football, kind of thing. Absolutely. Thank you for that. We have a little space on, on our uh, medical form that people have to fill down. How do you relax? And we've had a large number of different things. And I have to say that it is, it's the video, it's the relaxation in, 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 in with friends in front of a video, which is very often top of the list. We had one, one marvelous person who put down, I relax by hanging up washing. That was great. I thought, uh, uh, and then when I, I asked her about it, she said, it's really true. I find it's just a simple task I do, and I can switch off, and I love it, uh, and I do it with my friends. So, yes, thank you. So we've got a huge range of things, and I'm a bird watcher. Um, and uh, a lot of, uh, well, of course, you've got the famous Audubon Society in America, which is the largest bird conservation society in the world. Um, there was some evidence out of Pakistan about 10 years ago that the bird watchers were less stressed than the non-bird watchers because they could get outside, they could get up into, they can get out of the fields and into the valleys and into the forests and totally concentrate on something absolutely different. But, you know, a clarinet player would have done just as well as long as it didn't upset his uh, person next door too much. Um, but involving in something else which is really different. Okay, we'll move on. Okay, now this was an interesting, uh, I came across this and I don't know where I found it, but it's a 2012 study by somebody called Brenda Bosch. Do any of you know somebody called Brenda Bosch? Is she here? No, good. Uh, well, that's us as well. Um, but I thought this was very interesting. She interviewed two, over 2,000 missionaries 
and basically said, what, what would you like to make your life easier? And I thought that was a very good starting point. Okay, well, this is the very first thing she's, that people said. Nearly a quarter of all the people said, I would just like someone to listen to me. Friend, perhaps the mission leader, but somebody who would listen and not make a judgment. So this friendship thing, I mean, that's pretty obvious, but isn't it amazing that 22% people said they, they wanted that and they didn't necessarily have it? Okay, now, I think uh, it, was you, it was you who was saying, let's make sure that people are prepared before they go. We do that in our organization. Fantastic. We have lessons yeah. of preparation. Lessons of preparation. And fitting, gifting to role. Do you know... All the time at Intelth, when I'm seeing people back from the field who don't, for, for whom it's not working, or I get those sort of really stressed emails, it's very often that they're in the wrong job. They, the mission needed somebody to fill post A, and this was the only person available, so they went out there and they'd been miserable. They were meant to be in leadership, but they're not leaders. Uh, they were the sort of person who absolutely loved working in a sort of social environment, and there they were posted out of the back of beyond in, the, uh, in, in South Sudan with nobody to talk to who could speak to. So finding the right gift to the role is important. Who in, is involved here in actually doing that on behalf of missions? Is anybody actually... Yeah, okay. Well, I, I'm not, I know you're, you are the, one of the converted here, but I have to say in the UK, we do not do this well. It's partly because we don't have so many people wanting to go abroad as missionaries as you guys have. We only have 6,000 uh, long-term missionaries in the UK, and I think you've got 30,000. So we don't have so many, so that's a problem for us. Okay, personal development. Just this feeling that somebody is sufficiently interested in me to think about my future career, how I can learn new things, how I can have do this, that, and the other, instead of just being left a sort of rot isn't quite the right word, but just sort of somehow uh, the assumption that I can go on doing the same thing day after day and I don't need any variety. And, you know, that's, that's not the way we work. Actually, I think our grandparents and great-grandparents were very good at doing that, but we're not much good in Generation X, Baby Boomers, Baby Busters, or Generation Y or IY. None of us guys are so good at just doing these routine things day after day. So we need the personal development. Friendship with co-workers, I think that probably comes up somewhere similar to, to one on the, on the front. I was wondering what sort of friendship they meant, actually. I was wondering if this was singles going out and thinking, well... Uh, I didn't have much luck when I was at Mission College to, to find somebody nice to, to marry. But anyway, uh, and it hasn't worked on the mission field either. So it may, be, it, may be, uh, it may be that group. I don't know quite what that means. I thought that was quite interesting. Uh, Brenda, tell me. Um, regular debriefing. Somebody who can listen to how stuff's going. Somebody you can talk to regularly saying, I had an absolutely ru rubbishy day. And last week was awful, and I wanted to get on the plane home. And you know that person will listen and understand, and they won't put a black mark in the book. Uh, the the non-judgmental regular debriefing. I thought it was interesting that was so high. Okay. Sorry? Blogging effective? I think blogging is very effective. Who here has been de-stressed by writing either by diarying or blogging? 
Yeah, it's great, isn't it? You know, you write down the way things are, you start being creative, you remember those funny stories, and somehow it all sort of fits into perspective. And then you know a few of your friends at home are reading it, and you may be entertaining them or, or shocking them. Yeah. Also quite fun. Okay, uh, the regular accountability. I thought that was quite interesting. I've always rather enjoyed being unaccountable, actually. But uh, <laughs> anyway... Um, and uh, somebody here said, prayer, partnership on the field, somebody to pray with, somebody who, when you're really feeling down on your uppers, do you have that expression here? Down on your uppers in the UK means you're feeling, well, you're just feeling low in yourself. Somebody you can pray with. Or, of course, somebody you can say, hey, I got this fantastic news from, from home. My, my sister has got engaged to this wonderful man. I, I wanted to, but she's done it, and that's fine. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And you can rejoice together. Okay. Um, <laughs> how to raise support. Uh, Ywam's written a wonderful book called Friend Raising. Does anybody know that book? Yeah. Okay, it's tremendous. But a lot of people have, uh, have a real struggle there. And certainly in the UK, I, don't know, I, know, I know of one person who had to go to 300 churches to raise enough support to go out for a four-year trip to Japan. Can you believe it? How to raise support. Uh, strangely enough, this person seemed to enjoy preaching, which was good news. Um, mutual care within my team, a friendly team. That means you need to be a friend. It's not just the other person being a friend. You need to be a friend. We need to be friendly. Friendship is, uh, is great, isn't it, Guy? But uh, very often that is not the case. Okay, who, involved, who here is involved in the member care movement? Put up your hand if you know about member care. Right. Can I suggest that all of you who don't know about member care, you Google member care. It's the sort of compassionate HR support of mission workers, and it's a worldwide network, and it's absolutely great. It's taken a bit of time to get going, but it's terrific. Um, and these people wanted a visit by a member care worker, somebody who's friendly, comes in from outside, a little bit like, you know, the bloodstream that brings in the oxygen and takes away the carbon dioxide and various other things probably in the bloodstream as well. Um, so a field visit by member care worker. So I thought that was a really interesting lot of stuff there from, from uh, this 2,000 missionaries, long-term missionaries. Now, um, 2,086. And I think... If you write to thrivingindifficultplaces at gmail.com, I think you may find there's an answer. But on, my, uh, on this uh, survey that I found, uh, the little comment was trying to get this going. So I don't know if that is – I put it up anyway because it was out in the public domain. Right. Can I now go on, or does anybody want to say anything else on any of those things or something else that you have wanted and not had? I'm going to add one thing, exercise. Who here has found exercising, getting those endorphins going? It may not be a gym, but, you know, running, running around the playground. And eating right, too, and eating right, I think. Also. Healthy eating, healthy exercise, all those things that just make us feel good about ourselves. I think, thought that was, I think that's really, really important. Um, I don't know if any of you know Catherine Welsh. She's not here, is she? Catherine Welsh is one of the organizers here. Uh, I said, so how's the running going? She says, oh, it's doing fine. I'm doing, I'm doing 100 milers at the moment. I thought, isn't that tremendous? But we can just go for a walk, a brisk walk, and feel better. Like this morning, the weather was so fantastic. Okay, so I put on exercise to that one. Right, I'm going to just go on now to some of the other areas because 
That was a group of long-term missionaries in fairly secure environments. But who, who here has worked in insecure environments? My, my sister was in the middle of a coup. There you go, exactly. In the Gambia. In the Gambia, yeah. We are increasingly going to be called and going to be working in insecure environments. And the International Committee of the Red Cross that we actually work very, very closely with did this report recently. And uh, there are more and more attacks on on uh, health workers occurring, and there's a, there is a, a prediction that this is going to become significantly worse, especially in East Africa, Somali, Somali region, Sudan, um, and so forth. So we need to be more prepared for that. So I just want to flag up that we need to know how to keep safe. We need to know some good, sensible things about what to do if you're held up by some uh, boy soldiers at a checkpoint. What do you do? Do you look at them in the eye or do you not look at them in the eye? We need to be well prepared on security. And for the people we see in the UK now, this is a top issue. And it's health and security, which we always put together as two things we really need to uh, make sure people know about. I'm not an expert on this, but we work with uh, security experts in the preparation of missionaries. And also one or two people who have got the intelligence to know what is likely to happen in Mauritania in a year's time. Okay, uh, so along with security, I put also road accidents, the biggest killer of those uh, who work abroad for a long time. I took this photograph. I was not on the bus. There is a 1,000-foot drop down to my right. I think I must have been standing on a tree or something to take it. Anyway, that was in the Himalayas, where the commonest cause of death in young adults are bus crashes. Okay. Now, some more big stressors, getting ill. How many of you have worked abroad, and it's been okay as long as you felt well? But then when an illness comes, you think, oh, that's the last thing, and I just can't manage anymore. Okay, so uh, very interesting that we had uh, all these different uh, common conditions and uh, diarrhea, which affects uh, nearly all of us who, who work abroad, can be very discouraging. And we can do a lot to prevent, uh, prevent ourselves getting that by taking ciprofloxacin. Ciprofloxacin is a major way of dealing with unnecessary stress on the mission field because it deals with 75% of annoying or awful stomach problems. We can misuse it, and some of you won't like me to say that we should be using it this much, but it's becoming part of the travel medicine uh, repertoire. So, and taking our anti-malarials, of course. Now, look at that. This is another, this is part of the uh, Red Cross thing. Um, four out of ten, red, red Crosses are tough people. They're often ex-army. They're tough people, and 40% found the mission more stressful than expected. I thought that was an amazing uh, comment. Um, and what were the causes? Working environment. Being expected to work more hours and longer hours than was reasonable without a break. So again, we need to make sure if we are leaders overseas or if we're going abroad, we need to make sure that we're not continually being asked to work too hard. There will be times when we have to work around the clock like in the Haiti earthquake. But basically, we need to make sure that that's not the case. If we are a superior, let's be nice to people and not yell at them and not have a sort of stony face when they ask us things. That can be very, very discouraging. The, the, the Barnabas spirit of encouragement, being an encourager to others, uh, is 
is so important. I thought nearly one in ten use sleeping pills. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, in the, in, in the UK, that would be absolutely shocking. Um, and then this one at the end, exhaustion was reduced by nearly 30% by having someone to talk to. So that's right back to the one we had about missionaries. So this, this human contact, whether it's talking or emailing or Skyping or texting, some sort of human contact, fantastic. Um, even inviting your uh, parents or your sister or your family to come and stay with you and have a good holiday together, great, or, or mother-in-law. Um, that, <laughs> that worked with us. That worked with us very well, actually. Uh, right, I'm going to leave that one. Um, we did a little survey of what people came back from with what condition. Actually, this is a part of a CDC survey, which is ongoing. I haven't got the latest figures, I'm sorry, but they're very similar. So the people we see coming back from overseas assignments, this is missionaries and, and, uh, and aid workers, very interesting. The anxiety and the fatigue right up there and the depression, one of the top ones and these various other things. So basically, here's, here, is, here is Bert, here is Bert uh, who can't sleep and he's got diarrhea and he is demotivated that he is encouraged by one thing and that is that he's still got enough toilet paper. Uh, so well, that's great. So um, perhaps, his, uh, you know, perhaps the team leader here was at least good at the logistics. Right. Um, so all these additional things that uh, increasingly we, we are feeling increase the stress, the, the insecure environments, the, the fact that people are getting ill just as much now as they, as they did, say, 10 or 15 years ago, not as much as in the last century or in the, 1990, uh, in, the, in, the in the 1800s, but a lot of illness. So, guys, some more ideas on the basis of what I've just shown you about how we can increase motivation or decrease the stressors. Any further thoughts? Yeah. One of the situations I've gotten into in the course of general surgery and the pediatric surgery training was I, I got into a program in feed surgery where they expected me, me to be on 24-7. And I was about to burn out. And finally I had to go to my superiors and we had to work out a deal so that I took a scheduled time off, and it was there, there was a certain. I worked a lot, but I had a certain amount of time that it was scheduled, and everybody agreed that when that that day came, I was off completely, and and I shouldn't have to feel bad that I was off. And uh, I think that a lot of times people can tolerate quite a bit of. They can do a lot of work if you know that at a certain point. You are going to be relieved. You will have, say, two days off completely, guilt-free, and, and no strings attached, something like this. And if you can you know, work this, work, work a schedule so, for as many people as possible so, that, so they rotate and they do have some downtime. and some, you know, It has to be guilt-free downtime. Gene, I love that. It, the guilt-free downtime is absolutely crucial. We need to make sure before we go abroad that that, that is in, in some way understood by our mission leaders. And mission leaders here, we need to make sure that that is somehow allowed and understood. And it's the guilt-free downtime. Uh, just following on from what Gene said, I came across uh, I, about three months ago, I saw what I would call an ultra-tough aid worker had been slogging it out, I think it was in DRC, but was, was absolutely exhausted. And this person, he came to me and he said, he said, Ted, 
I, we've all got our breaking point, and I knew that I was getting near to mine, and I would have to say something to somebody, and I did, and I took two months away, and that has saved my career. So, guys, I think what you all need to ask yourself is, is not necessarily what is your breaking point, but because you may not know that at the moment, but to be aware when you are working in a tough environment as to when you are getting somewhere near it, and not to mind saying so. Um, I'm in danger of talking about something that I'm not qualified in because I'm not a qualified psychologist, but I work with a psychologist who said there are the validators and the non-validators. The validators are the people who are okay to admit their weaknesses and their failings. So they have a really bad day and they go up and they say to their friend, do you know, I've had a really XXX day. I'm feeling really down. I'm fed up and I want to go home. Um, and you know, wouldn't other people be feeling the same? And then their very sort of, you know, introverted uh, English friend who's had just as bad a day and says, oh, it has been quite a difficult day. Yes, I'm very sorry. I'm feeling a bit bad. And that introverted person, that English person, I'm not wanting to make stereotypes here, carries the stress more than the person who's blown off a bit. And the blowing off a bit does not have to offend anybody. It can just be a nice, simple emotional release. And at the end, actually, you can have a good laugh about it. So the validating, not suppressing, not being ashamed of being human beings. I mean, for heaven's sake, Jesus was a human being. And he, he, he got fed up. He got angry. He got exhausted. And sometimes we try to be even better than Jesus, I think, when we're, when we're uh, missionaries. Anyway, so, so that. Gene, thank you. That all came from your comment here, and I love the guilt-free. It's got to be guilt-free, absolutely, because we're all specialists at feeling guilty when there's no guilt, and we have to deal with that. Um, not all of us. Some of us are learning to deal with that. Any other thoughts about how we can uh, remain motivated in the face of uh, a world where there is increasing stress and insecurity where we're working? Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. Did you all hear that? Making sure that we have got private space. Some people will not need very much. They, must, they may just need a few moments in a day. They may need to go to walk in the wood or something. But some people will really need a lot of private space. And we need to estimate how much we need and then be unashamed to actually tell people. And uh, we had a problem in India because I, I, I don't need very much private space, but I couldn't bear people knocking on the door all through the night wanting medicines and stuff because I was a doctor out in a remote area. So, so we had a little room at the back with uh, curtains drawn and so forth and so on. And, and you know, I, I could escape there, sometimes quite difficult, but I re really needed that. Yeah. You, you have to set boundaries. Now, my wife, is like you were saying, she's the only doctor at this hospital we're working in. But we have people... Oh, I come to greet doctor. Well, I've got to the point of what do you really want? If it's a medical problem, the hospital is over there. Absolutely. So we need, to, we need to make sure that we understand our own boundaries and then we're not allowed to be pushed over them unless it's an emergency. And this is a matter of discussing this with our mission and our team leaders. Yeah, thank you. deaths I'd seen that week 
and Friday was just a bad day. But I also discovered Thursday nights I went to a woman's Bible study that was hoped the goal was to prevent missionary attrition by talking about troubles on the mission field. But for me, going together with other missionary ladies and talking about all the problems on the mission field wasn't helpful. I was already down and we were just more having a giant complaining fest than getting anywhere. So rather than that, found some friends, played a game of cards, and just go in with that understanding. Friday is a tough day, but just to be able to recognize that trend itself is helpful. Thank you very much. Exactly. So so really that, that same idea that we... we we will get exhausted, we will get tired, but we need to recognize when and what we can do about it to put ourselves right. And for some people, that will be going to a prayer meeting. And for some people, it will be emphatically not going to a prayer meeting. Uh, and, we, and we need to, without guilt, choose what is going to work for us, as long as it's not upsetting the apple cart, as we would say in England. Okay. Yeah, how Ed, much, thank you. How much does not having a, a Western... Diet and nutrition contribute to stress? That is a very interesting question, and I don't know the answer to that. But I think one thing I would say is that if we can somehow keep ourselves as physically fit as possible, uh, as we were saying earlier, I'm, I'm convinced that that is a really important uh, part of, of dealing with stress. Um, I certainly found that when I lived in the Himalayas, if I went for a run every uh, once or twice a week, that, that, that had a tremendously de-stressing effect. And, and, I, and I came back and I, I had much more, I, I do now, I have much more motivation, I have much more energy. That doesn't work for everybody, but I think we underestimate uh, the, value of, the value of that and, and the fun and so forth. And the Scottish dancing or the dancing, I mean, dancing is a fantastic form of exercise. And also, you know, the Bible talks about dancing endlessly, especially in the Old Testament. So I think we should be happy as long as the environment is correct. I think we should be very happy to do, to do all, the, all those things. Okay. Um, now, I'm just going to run on a bit now. Uh, we've got 15 more minutes. Guys, there's going to be some quite heavy stuff here. Not so many jokes. It's going to be a little bit more. Here are some things. Is that okay? I'll, I'll try to lighten it up a little bit. And if, if I see people dropping off to sleep, I will... Uh, I haven't finished my drink yet, and I'm reasonably good cricket player, so I'll... Uh, uh, not good at baseball. Uh, okay. So... Um, the psychologists can help a lot, and uh, we see a number of people at Intel before they're going abroad, and they see a psychologist not just to be assessed, oh, what a terrible word, but to be helped to understand themselves so that they can therefore know the things that will de-stress them. And I have to say that the Myers-Briggs inventory, and you've got the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory, the Myers-Briggs inventory is absolutely amazing. You can do this and you find out if you're an extrovert and you're intuitive and so forth and so on, and you understand yourself. Uh, Joy, to whom I have been happily married for 41 years, uh, and, and myself, we both did this recently. And then we read the chapter about when an ENTF marries a something, 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 what happens? And we found that all the different things we disagreed about in our marriage were all predicted by doing this personality profile. And I would really recommend you, before you go abroad, do a personality profiling. It's a California personality inventory. There are a whole lot. The Headington Institute in... Uh, in California, some of you know, may know about it, is an amazing Christian organization that does this. So understand yourself, get a bit of psychological help, uh, and that'll be marvelous. You'll, you'll understand 
yourself and your situation much better. Okay, now these are some of the things which it's really helpful to, to explore before you go abroad. Now, this history of depression thing, do you know that people who have been significantly depressed and have learned how to cope with it do as well, if not better, than people who've never been depressed if they go for five years without any recurrence of symptoms. So actually, a past history of depression, if you learn some life skills of coping with it, is positively helpful. So in God's kingdom, there isn't disqualification here. And also, we do need to remember that God's strength is made perfect in weakness. And some of the biggest advances in God's kingdom were done by semi-crazy, irate, slightly depressed missionaries. If you just look at the history of the China Inland Mission, some of the most amazing things were done there by people who had significant problems. So we don't need to disqualify ourselves, and we don't need to start feeling guilty. I just want to put that up because sometimes people think, oh, I've got all those things, I'll never be any good. It's absolute nonsense. Uh, that these are just pathways to God's grace. Um, okay, and, and all those different things. Ability to have coped with previous stress. I just put all those things up. These psychosocial support networks. I mean, I know we can all get into Facebook and Twitter too much, but actually a little bit of that is tremendously helpful uh, for most of us. It doesn't work for everybody. For some people, that's just a non-starter. Um, my wife just will not join Facebook. I tried very hard to get her, but she says, that's not for me. So we all need to know what our psychosocial support network sh should be. And for many people, that's just face-to-face -face friendship. Okay, all this building resilience stuff. Uh, is resilience a sort of popular word in America at the moment? Everyone in the UK is talking about resilience. And sometimes I feel like saying, use another word. Feeling, uh, feeling, you're feeling robust, get, building some inner strength. But anyway, resilience is the thing. And by the way, we, we do resilience training at Intel. And I just left a few little things at the back. I don't do it. Uh, I, 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 I go to them, but I don't do them. Okay, so the, uh, at the back there. But this whole idea that actually we are all people who can potentially be made more resilient. I mean, basically, that's what God's grace does for us throughout our lives. And that works in, in the motivation and effectiveness thing. God's grace helps us. Um, and so those are some of the things we do. Right. Um, this good team spirit and support, John Ehrenreich, I don't know if you know him, he's a humanitarian aid worker, he's worked with uh, MSF and various other groups, uh, but this is one of the things that he, he, he distills out as a really important thing, this sense of cohesion within a team, this group of people who trust each other, work together. I mean, this is really important in the military, but sometimes in the mission community, we're not so, we don't put such a high, because I think a lot of missionaries are quite individualistic, we sometimes are not quite so good at getting a team spirit going. I visited one or two mission hospitals 30 or 40 years ago where there was a disastrous spirit. Um, so I think we need to work very hard at building the team spirit, doing the fun stuff together. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? A meta-analysis of 585 separate studies, that's some uh, meta-analysis. I mean, the person must have been quite obsessional to look at so many of those things. Um, <laughs> And probably needed some R&R &R or something, I would imagine. <laughs> but, um, but basically, uh, isn't that interesting? I mean, it's obvious, but if we enjoy what we're doing, we feel good and we feel motivated. Unless, of course, we've just got too much of it, which we've talked about. So making sure that we are the right fit for the job is so important. If we enjoy our job, 
I've always loved my job, and I've nearly always felt motivated. I just don't get tired of work much. It's funny to say that, but I, but I don't, because I love my job. Well, God will sometimes call us into jobs that we, where we don't love all of it. That's part of the deal. And okay, so we've got other ways of dealing with that. But at least when we start out serving God overseas, let's make sure that on the whole we're doing something which God has not just called us to, but he said, you're going to enjoy that, uh, and it's a fit, good fit for you. Sorry, obvious stuff, but I just wanted to, I'm going to leave that one. We haven't quite got time. Okay, right. Now, uh, a lot of what we've been talking about is what we can do before and during. But, you know, there's a lot we can do when we come back and before we go out again. And we found at Intel that this is a really, really important part of support. This can actually be done on the field by somebody from member care coming to visit you and doing a sort of audit and review of how you're getting on. But we found this has been very, very helpful. And this is what I would just uh, want to put in front of you. I said this was a little bit more serious. This is what we have been pioneering at Intelhealth, and many other groups are doing this as well. And this seems to work in helping people to come to terms with the difficult things so that they're happy to get on the plane and go out on the next mission or to, at the end of their home assignment. And 90 minutes just to chat, a few simple questions to trigger things, but basically you sit down in an armchair with a cup of coffee uh, and you talk to a skilled debriefer, a skilled counselor. Okay, so that's part of it. And then uh, I'm going to rather assume that you're the person doing this now. You need to make quite sure that you get on the wavelength, you jump into this person's life, even though you've never been to South Sudan and you've never actually been in Juba when the, uh, when the aircraft has been flying over and threatening you, but you can jump into that person's life and understand it. And then you explore stuff in a completely non-judgmental way. Now, this is really important, this idea of holding and managing distress and pain. You know, we will all have people who come to us and pour out their heart. And for some of us, we'll say, oh, my goodness me, I don't quite know what to do with all this stuff the person has just told me. And, you know, we have to just learn that social technique of, of listening to somebody in a non-judgmental way, not necessarily saying very much, but in some way being an encourager, being an affirmer. For example, uh, I often have people in the end of the consultation usually is just as they're going out of the door saying, and by the way, you know, I had this really terrible experience, which I haven't had time to tell you about. Can I come back in? And they come back in for another five or ten minutes. And, do you know, there's one sentence which makes a big difference to people that I found who say that. I've said, do you know, I don't think you've had, I don't think there's anything abnormal about you. I think you've had a normal reaction to an abnormal experience. Stop thinking there's something the matter with you. It was a really difficult experience. I would have done the same as you. I would have also executed the head of the mission. Uh, and, uh, I didn't quite do that, by the way, but I very nearly did once. So it's a man... It's, it's, this, it's, it's this empathy. It's this holding. It's this, it's this adding in the encouragement, the encouragement, the affirmation. Guys, it's all right. Don't disqualify yourself because you felt like that, because you reacted like that. Okay. Uh, we need to recognize early signs of post-traumatic stress. I'm not going to go into that. Um, now, this is very important. 
a lot of people who go abroad as, as fired up missionaries come back very unsure of their God and very disillusioned and very shaken by the fact they have worked in situations where it seems God does not answer prayers in the refugee camps and in the IGP camps or in the disaster or where there is a famine. And we need, as Christians, to be open about where we are struggling with our faith because it's, that's not a disqualification. Jesus specializes in people who struggle with their faith. So we must not allow this to demotivate us. We must say, we come home, we say to our church leader or somebody at church, do you know I've had a really rotten time and I don't want to come to church at all. Actually, I find it really difficult coming back and worshipping God with you guys and half of you don't even know where I've been. Mm -hmm. You think that Marley is the same as Bali and that's where I went on holiday. LAUGHTER and so we, we need to be unashamed in saying, well, actually, I've had a really tough time. And I expect sometimes in your life I've had a tough time, and I'm struggling with my faith. Is there something in the church actually I could talk to who's not going to judge me for it? Uh, or we come back to a family where our parents always thought we were ridiculous and crazy to go abroad and do things which were not at all what they expected us to do. Uh, and then we come back and we're feeling really down in ourselves, but we're still having to cope with our non-Christian family members. Any of you have had that experience? Well, we need somebody to talk to and be open with on that. So all these things we can do when we come back or from somebody who comes and visits us. I've very nearly finished. We've got five minutes to go. Okay. Um, now, I just put this one up because it's quite amazing. Uh, as I have, the last 20 years, I've been one or two days a week, I've been a, I've been a clinician and I've been seeing people coming back from working all over the world. And nearly always, the problem or the illness or the stress that they have been through, nearly always, was at least in part, preventable. If only you had taken your anti-malarials, you wouldn't have had to have been repatriated or you wouldn't have got so exhausted. If only when you were feeling really tired and down, you had told your mission leader, I'm really exhausted, I need to bring forward that holiday. If only you had done that. Or if only you had not done that, this problem would never have reached the point. So I would just uh, want to just throw this out and say, look, if you are a mission leader or if you are a missionary, just think of those areas which are preventable, are unnecessary, that you can change to reduce that stress and increase that motivation. I don't know if I'm making myself clear. Am I talking? Do you get what I'm saying? Okay. Um, and... When it comes to physical health, it's amazing how so many problems can be, can be put right and, uh, and, and all that demotivation prevented. Okay, so I put this one up, one up because I very often see people who've spent two years in South Sudan with a mission and they've had a good time but they're exhausted and they've got just three months in the UK. So I say, so what are you going to do? And they say, well, I've got to go and speak in 20 churches to raise support I've got to go and stay with my non-Christian sister and her new partner. I find that really difficult. I have got to do it. Um, oh, and I've got to fill in that funding proposal which my mission leader asked me to do and I never got around to doing it. And I say, well, a holiday? Are you going to take any time? Oh, um, 
I think I might get a week just before I leave. So, guys, can I just say to mission leaders here and to yourselves, for heaven's sake, when you come back after a tough time overseas or even an untough time overseas, have the holiday. God gave us, gave us all things richly to explore. Why did God create wonderful islands like Bali and Crete and wonderful places like Florida and New York if it wasn't to enjoy them? Yes. I'm just... Excellent. Good. He's from Florida. I said the right thing there. Fantastic. Um, yeah, my colleague at work is just down in Florida at the moment working. Uh, okay. So the holiday, the fun, seeing the friends, re-engaging with the, the church life and, and, um, and climbing the mountain, all those things which we need to make ourselves balanced. You know, this is not just about our survival and our motivation. It's about not becoming boring people. What is it? All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. And frankly, some missionaries become actually quite boring. I think I became very boring at one stage, and my dad told me so. Actually, he thought I needed to see a psychologist because I had sort of lost the, I'd lost it because I was so serious. It's great to be serious for God, but it's also great to leap and, and laugh with God because he means us to do that. And basically in heaven, we're going to be doing that the whole time. So he means us to start now. Okay, um, right, we've got <laughs> two minutes. This is just for a final little comment from any of you. Any other thoughts from all that we've uh, tried to share this afternoon? It's a big topic. Any other little tips that any of you would like to share that's worked for you? And then I'm going to tell you one very quick story. Yes. I think that's a really, really helpful thought. I've, uh, I, I have to say that when, we, when in North India, when I was really tired and exhausted, we had some good, fizzy, fun, short-termers coming to stay with us, as long as they didn't have too many questions about, you know, how do I do this, how do I do the other. That was really, really great. Now, I've just got, I've got half a minute. I'm just going to tell you one thing that worked for me just to leave with you. Uh, we spent a number of years in North India, and after three years, uh, I got been involved with an American mission agency. I won't tell you the name of it. Um, I still love it, but um, we were working with them, and I thought we were having a really great time. I'd left a well-paid job in the UK. I had three kids under seven, and uh, we had a, uh, a, a, a letter from the mission leader from Colorado saying, uh, I'm coming out to discuss the project with you. And uh, the discussion was only 15 minutes. It was basically, we are discontinuing this project. Uh, it was never endorsed by the mission at the beginning, and I'm very sorry, but actually, as from three months' time, you won't have a job. And as I had just um, uh, given up this job and had the three kids out there um, and just miraculously got a visa for staying on in India, I, I thought... That is the end. Lord, what is going on here? And I yelled at this poor man, and I've had to, I still actually do confess it, and I haven't been able to contact him and say, sorry, guys, I yelled at you, but I did. I'm not saying we should do that. 
But I'll tell you what it was that transformed that situation and has actually transformed my life. The next week, I didn't want to go to church, but I did. And the verse was, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it brings forth lots of fruit. And, you know, within two or three days, I felt utterly transformed. I got an invitation from another organization to work. Out of that, a whole number of new organizations actually, I won't tell you how, they they came about and they're now working in a coordinated way in that part of North India. And it was all because of a really bad experience that God brought something really great out of it. So my final word with you is if you have a really awful experience which you do not understand... Take that disappointment and God's appointment. Go to the Bible and say, Lord, this is a disaster, but I believe there's some light at the other end of it. And what is it? You show me. And that can be transforming. And in the end, you'll say, Lord, thank you. It was so difficult. Guys, thank you very much. We've, uh, we're over time.